This is uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorites, um, if, if you're allowed to pick and choose from the Bible and say, well, that's my favorite. But, um, but if you're not, I'm in trouble because I am and God knows me. So, um, so I do have favorites. Um, this is one of my, one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. Um, and I know I'm not alone. I don't know uh, how you all feel about it. I know it's a popular passage of Scripture, though, because we keep seeing it. it, it it's, it's all through our culture. Um, go to the Wikipedia disambiguation page, okay, just to find out how many different ways in our culture a prodigal son has appeared. Um, artists, artists draw from it. Um, the, the, the songs of our culture, you know, the, the amazing grace... Um, I once was lost, but now am found. Uh, so much of our culture draws directly from this parable. Uh, artists uh, have have done. Look how many paintings there are that try to illustrate this particular moment when the prodigal son returns. It is it is a favorite of mine, and I know it's a favorite of many people. If I were going to be uh, cast adrift and lost on a desert island, I I would. And I was told I only got to have one one chapter of scripture to take with me this would be in the running i might not you know if i was if i was going to be um uh alone in a desert island for say two decades or something i'm not sure if i would pick this i might pick something that's a little harder you have to chew on more something like one of the one of the chapters from john's gospels uh there's pretty much the whole the whole book um there's a lot of great chapters there but they require a lot of uh thinking so a good a good thing to have with you on a desert island for 20 years. But if I was going to be cast onto a desert island with somebody else, if I was going to have somebody else with me on the desert island, I would definitely want to take Luke 15 because the genius of this parable is not simply what it says about our relationship with God. It also talks about our relationship with the people around us, the people closest to us, our brothers, um, our brothers or uh, by extension, our sisters. That is the particular genius of this parable. And so, um, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about it, um, in part because, because it has kind of these obvious lessons. Um, one of, one of the obvious lessons you can take away, this is kind of for free. If you've always thought that, that Christians are obsessed with sex and they don't care about, um, other, other, uh, types of sin, this this uh, scripture speaks directly to that, um, and and Christians have been have been observing this for two thousand years. I wanted to read you just a, a couple of sentences from uh, Mere Christianity. I read this book and and the uh, companion in this volume, Mere Christianity and Screwtape Letters. This 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 book is ten dollars, and I can't recommend it enough. I I've, I've worn mine out. So um, let me read you uh, what uh, Christian writer C.S. Lewis had to say about this. He says. He's finishing a chapter on the Christian's view of sex, and he says, um, Finally, though I have had to speak at some length about sex, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can that the center of Christian morality is not here. If anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport, backbiting and the pleasures of power, of hatred. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who regularly goes to church may be far nearer to hell 
than a prostitute. But of course, it is better to be neither. So that is that is kind of an obvious surface uh, uh, application of this passage, and um, uh, that's that's uh, useful to know. Of course, what I talk to with, with the children about is that no matter how and why and how often the wheels have come off our our particular train, how often we found ourselves in the ditch, that that we will be welcomed as the prodigal was welcomed if we go home. There's beautiful lessons in here for us. But I was recently acquainted. I was I, I was uh, educated. I, I found this third layer of meaning that I just have to share with you. And it, it has to do with the topic we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. For the last few weeks, we've been um, talking about fish, specifically the Christian fish, the fish you see on the back of people's cars. Um, it is, as we've seen, a an ancient Christian uh, memory aid. It was a five-letter mnemonic. You know, if they didn't have five fingers, they could always think of the five letters of ichthus. Um, and because it stood for the five key points that they wanted to remember. If somebody if somebody wasn't clear on what Christians believed or if they were trying to remember it themselves, they could go back to this memory aid and they would find these five words. They are uh, Jesus Christos Theuquias uh, Soter, which means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And we've been looking at that. We've seen the way that the name of Jesus is is a mighty and powerful name because it brings us right to the throne of God and we can be heard uh, in front of God because of the name of Jesus. We've seen the way that uh, Christ means that Jesus is king. He is the anointed king. And if we're looking for a way to align our lives or to make sense of our lives, to, to figure out what should be the, the authority in our lives, Jesus uh, as Christ offers that to us. And, and then last week we saw that Theo reminds us that God is a God who has, who has things. God has purposes. God has motivations. God is not some impersonal force that, you know, Luke Skywalker can use, um, you know, if he just remembers to use the force. Uh, God is not a force. God is not a power. God is a person. God is actually three persons united in their motivations, uh, to, to do things in the world. And so we've seen the first three words, Jesus Christ and God's, and today we're going to look at the word sons or son, excuse me. And, and this is because for the ancients, uh, the ancient church, it was important that they remember that Jesus was God's son. And, and we might kind of say, well, why is that? Why, why do we, why does it matter, really? I mean, suppose, suppose, you know, the, the Trinity is a mystery. I can never figure out what's going on in the Trinity. I, I don't, I don't claim to understand it. I just have the little uh, hints we get in scripture. So why do I really care that Jesus is God's son? Would it, would it matter to me if Jesus was was the twin brother of God the Father? Would it matter? Would it matter? If Jesus was the second cousin of God the Father, uh, what is what is unique about the relationship between a father and a son that that makes it important for us to know that that is the relationship of Jesus to God the Father? Uh, would it matter if it was some other kind of relation, a relationship we don't even have words for, like the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son. I mean, uh, there is that relationship, but we don't have words because we don't have anything like that we can point to here on earth. Would it matter if Jesus was related to God the Father the same way that the Holy Spirit is? Why is it important? Why is it important to us? I mean, not just kind of theoretically important, interesting to theologians. Why does it matter to us that Jesus is God's Son? Well, there is a reason 
And like I said, uh, uh, this is something I recently discovered. I was reading Tim Keller's book. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He's got a book called The Prodigal God. And in it, he identifies there is a, there is a, a third layer of meaning to this parable that we're, we're looking at today. In, in the first layer of meaning, that's the, the, the very obvious idea that if you're in the pig pen, if you're wallowing in the mud because of mistakes you made or because of, because of bad luck or because of things that other people have done to you for whatever reason, if you are a mess, you can always go home. You can always go back to God. You are always welcome before your Father. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that there's all kinds of sins. There's the sins of the flesh and there's the sins of the spirit. And the elder brother didn't realize how bad a sinner he was. He thought he was a good sinner because he, a, a good, a good man because he didn't indulge in the sins of the flesh. But this third layer of meaning comes from the culture. So what I want to do is I want to look at this, this passage very quickly. The, it's a, it's a beautiful, story, but I'm going to skim it um, because I want to get to this uh, application, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before. So Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but you're not, so let's just pretend. I want you to liquidate the ranch and give me my share. So the father doesn't say, uh, you're dead to me. I don't want to ever see you again. Instead, the father says, okay. The father, uh, sells everything he's got. He gives the young man, the young, the young brother his share. In, in that culture, that would have been a third because the way they did things is the eldest brother got a double portion and then any other brothers got one portion. So we just add one, divide by that number and give the first one double. So he gets a third of everything. And he goes off to this distant country, Jesus tells us, and he squanders his property in dissolute living. He is prodigal. He goes through it in no time at all. And of course, then bad, bad things happen. When he had spent everything, it always works out that way, doesn't it? Um, he spent everything and a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out. He found somebody who was willing to have him uh, feed their pigs. So he's sitting there in a pig pen covered with mud and muck, and he thinks to himself, you know, I'm still hungry, but back home, the people who take care of the animals on my dad's ranch are doing a lot better. Now, I've burnt my bridges. There's no way I can go back and ask dad if I could become a member of the household again. But maybe, just maybe, he might let me have a job like one of the hands. I could become a farmhand for dad, maybe because he's an old softy. Maybe dad would let me do that. So he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to try it. It's worth a try. So he starts coming back and then Jesus says, he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son launches into this prepared statement, but the father interrupts him and says, quick, Everyone bring a ring, put a ring on his finger, put a, put a coat on his back, uh, throw a party, uh, kill the fatted calf. We have to celebrate. And then the story goes on. It would be an awesome story. It would be one of the classics of world literature if it stopped there. It's a beautiful story. But Jesus goes on. He continues and he says, the elder son was in the field and when he came and he heard the music and dancing, he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. 
The slave said, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. And he became angry. And the father came out to plead with him. But he answered. He, he, Dad says, come on in, son. And he says, hey, 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 listen. Listen. For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you. Not like a son, like a slave. I've been working like a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your command. But when this son of yours came back, you have never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I want to celebrate with you. I've got friends. You don't let me celebrate with my friends. And I won't give you the satisfaction of asking. It's a question of what you're going to give me. Because I don't want to ask you for anything. The son of yours comes back. He's devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed a fatted calf for him. The father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. It's a beautiful story. And it helps us to realize that we may be further from God than we think. See, the younger brother went off to a distant country, and there he squandered all he had in dissolute living. But the older brother is so far from his father. He's emotionally distant. There's no connection here. He views himself as a slave. He says, you don't give me anything. I never ask. He is as distant emotionally as the younger brother is physically. Completely detached from his father. So, all of us have something we can relate to in this story. Maybe we're a younger brother. Maybe we're an elder brother. Maybe we're both. If you're not sure, then you're either a delusional younger brother who thinks you're better than you are, or you're probably an older brother. A lot of us are older brothers. I'm not the black sheep. Let me tell you about the black sheep. He's the one. If I could tell you what he's done to my mom, you know, we've got stories. So all of us can relate to someone in this story. But the third layer is what I want to talk about today. Because the question before us is why does it matter that Jesus was son of God? And this is the cultural thing. I mentioned earlier, the older brother got a double portion of the father's estate. That was just the rules. It went way back, as far back as it went. There was a double portion given to the older brother. And the reason for that was when dad was gone, he would become the patriarch. He would have responsibility for the family. And so he got a double portion. And his job was to be responsible for the family. If something went wrong, if somebody got into trouble, it was his job to bail them out. The 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 second furthest back story in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel, what makes that story famous? What is the famous line that, that Cain says to God? He's, uh, God has, has, uh, received offerings from Abel, but not from Cain. Cain's countenance falls, so he takes his brother out in the field and kills him. And God comes along and says, where's your brother? And what does Abel, what does Cain say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is supposed to be yes. You're the older brother, Cain. It is your responsibility to be the keeper of your brother. And far from that, You have killed him. That is the tragedy of Cain and Abel. But we read 
Just a few chapters later in Scripture of an older brother who got it right, finally. We read in the story of Joseph the patriarch. We looked at this story last fall, but you have to stop somewhere. It's a long story. It goes on. So we stopped when Joseph became a uh, uh, viceroy of Egypt. But if you keep reading, we see what happens once he became viceroy of Egypt. And there's a story about how Judah, who earlier on had been involved in selling Joseph into slavery, Judah is speaking with his dad, and he says, we went to Egypt, we got the grain, and we talked to the man, and he said, next time you come back, bring your younger brother. And they said, sure thing, because we're not coming back. This famine will eventually pass, they all do. We'll have grain to last us out until it does, and we're not going to come back. But the famine keeps going. And so they have to come back. They go to their dad and they said, he told us if we come back, we have to bring Benjamin. And their father, who is, uh, uh, he's maybe the worst father ever recorded in scripture, but he gives us something to, to relate to all of us, either as dad or as child. Um, he says, but he's my favorite. Don't take Israel. I mean, uh, Israel says, don't take Benjamin. He's my favorite. I could lose the rest of you, but I hate to lose Benjamin. And and why did you hurt me by telling him about my favorite? And Judah says, he was careful. He, he questioned us at great length to find out if we had a brother. And he said, don't come back without him. We have to go back now. We need the grain. So he says, here's what. I will be surety for him. I will be surety for my brother. If something goes wrong, blame me. And so they travel to Egypt. And Joseph says, okay, you can have the grain. And then Joseph does this little tricky thing. It takes most of a chapter, so so it doesn't matter. He basically arranges to have uh, a, a Benjamin uh, uh, in trouble. And Benjamin will stay, stay behind in Egypt. And Joseph says, uh, Judah says, Judah tells the Pharaoh, uh, he says to the Pharaoh, he says, uh, to, to, not to Pharaoh, but to uh, Joseph, the viceroy. He says, therefore, please let your servant, let me, remain as a slave to my Lord in place of the boy, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father. See, Cain got it wrong. Cain was a lousy elder brother, as so many of us are. But Joe. Joseph's older brother, Judah, got it right, finally. It took him seven or eight chapters, but he finally got it right. He said, let me go and take me in place of the boy. See, all of us are either the prodigal son or his brother, to one degree or another. All of us are either physically or emotionally distant from God. And all of us need an elder brother of our own, who, like Judah, will come and save us, who will come find us in our pig pen, whatever our particular pig pen is, and say, Dad misses you. Let me take your spot here. You go home. I'll take care of this. Jesus is, for each of us, the older brother we need, because all of us are distant from God. And we need an older brother who will let us go home, who will search for us, who will find us 
and say, I'll take care of it, you go. That's the Lord we worship. That is Jesus the Son. What do we do with this? There's really nothing to do it except just appreciate it. To say, I have an elder brother. I am a child of the Most High. And I wouldn't be if it were not for my elder brother Jesus, who searched me, found me in my pig pen, and sent me home to my Father. Thanks be to God. Amen.